It's December 6th, a good Monday to you. Thanks for joining us here on Real Talk. It's Jesperson hanging out with Hoyles and Brooks, kicking off another week on the show. This episode, of course, presented by our friends at Bitcoin. Well, if you follow them on Instagram or on Twitter, for that matter, uh, you've already probably seen that they have a promotion going right now. You're going to get free Bitcoin until December 11th. And people are going to go, well, there's obviously got to be a catch. Well, yeah. You got to check out the post to find out why, but they're giving you money back, currency back in Bitcoin when you spend $100 or more. It's a great incentive. I know a lot of people have been reaching out to me privately looking for something a little bit different to top up the stockings, whatever Santa doesn't cover. You want to top up those stockings a little bit. Looking for that perfect way to thank your employees for a job well done. Perhaps the particularly forward thinking ones. The easiest fastest, safest way to buy and sell Bitcoin is at Bitcoin. Well, you can find them under the sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Checking in on the live chat here. I don't do that every morning right out of the gates, but I was just, it warms my heart to see everybody wishing each other a good morning. You know, there's like the different styles of real talk. I want to read an email a little bit later. Uh, this one from Joel, Joel, the electrician who, who wrote in in response to Brinley, who wrote in, I guess, about a week ago. Maybe it was a week and a half ago or so. And, and Joel, right at the end, he says, sorry, I'm a podcast listener, so I'm oftentimes a week or two behind. But I had to share this story with you. I love it. We're going to get to his email. We recognize some of you listen live. Some of you watch live. Some of you take it in later. A lot of times we'll have folks comment on an interview that they've seen weeks after it happened. But these live Listeners, these live viewers, uh, just a real special community, including Brenda, who earns a bit of a shout out this morning. She says, Real Talk officially has the coffee sponsor. Brenda says, I checked out the web page. Nothing gets past her. I love it, Brenda. Right on it. If you go to RyanJesperson.com and if you click on our sponsors page, you can see it. I tell you all about Bitcoin Well, which is on there, right? And then you go down and you see everybody else and, and they'll all get their shouts out today. Don't worry. But there it is. Yeg Coffee Club. If you click on that, you'll meet our new coffee partner. We're excited about this at yegcoffeeclub.ca. You can shop their holiday gift subscriptions. It's a really neat, you know, once a month, uh, someone that you love, uh, which could be you, you can give this to yourself. No problem. I think a lot of people (laughs) are looking for ways to say to themselves, you know what? Thank you for a hell of a year. Thank you for doing a great job and being a good person this year. You're a heck of a person. You're a heck of a person. And you know what you deserve? You deserve fresh, amazing, quality, locally roasted coffee, plus little treats sprinkled in once a month. You can do all that. Sam, can we pop up that photo so people can see this mug that it came with? They sent us, you can check this out, the Yegg Coffee Club mug, some fresh biscotti in there and a nice holiday roast every month. It's going to be a different roast and you can check them out online at yeggcoffeeclub.ca. We're really excited to be partnering with them. Nobody's more excited than Sarah and Sam. Sam has not once complained about the coffee that we had for you every single morning. Sam, the unsponsored coffee. It was a bit of a budget coffee. We're a startup. Hoyles wouldn't even make her coffee here in the studio. Nope. Which is totally understandable. <laughs> it, uh, it was, it, I made it at home. You know what? I used to work as a barista in a previous life uh, for a short period of time. Wonderful employment. Really enjoyed it, as a matter of fact. Nothing like the buzz and the smell of a busy coffee shop. It's the greatest. Um, but Hoyles, nobody could blame you uh, when you'd come in and you'd be like, 
Yeah, I'm all right. I never. I want you to know I never judged you for it, Sarah. Not even once. I also need cream in my coffee. Yeah. So if there isn't fresh cream, then there's no point in coffee. Yeah, fair enough. So, so is this your way of telling us that you'd like to me to go get a fresh cream sponsor? We, I mean, the Jespersons are all dairy farmers. We could probably make could that happen. we just happen. have a cow in studio? We, yeah, we could make that happen. I'm not sure why I was going with the sound <laughs> effect, but... Yeah, we can see what we could do. That's like the farm families have it the greatest. Remember, you always go visit the cousins back in the day in the summer, and it was like the milk is like as fresh as it gets. And as a city kid, once you wrap your mind around that, like I remember a, a wonderful exchange with one of my uncles where I asked him if the milk was pasteurized, and he just started laughing so I hard bet. until he almost cried. Uh, but but yeah, we'll see what we can do about the cream. We've got a great show in store today. It's it's gonna be honest. It's it's uh, when I use the word heavy, I know it's not gonna scare away this audience, but we're we're talking about things that matter to us, and that includes what's going on with regards to do I call it the abortion debate in the U.S. Midterm elections are coming up, and experts are saying that this could be and probably will be relevant. Abortions, uh, you know, women's choice, women's health, reproductive rights typically flare up during Canadian elections as well, though perhaps not as relevant as what we're seeing in the United States. And so we've got experts on both sides of the border that are going to join us in about a half an hour's time or so. Uh, Jill Doctoroff from the National Abortion Federation of Canada, Elizabeth Smith, joining us stateside from the Center for Reproductive Rights. We're also going to check in with a virologist, Dr. David Marchand, who's going to bring us up to speed on what we need to know about Omicron. And uh, people are, I think, rightfully uh, asking a few questions. It seems every time there's a new variant that comes up, people want to know do the vaccines hold up right what does this mean with regards to transmissibility how serious is this compared to delta or compared to other variants before or or the og covid19 that everybody got used to sort of dealing with in a way about a year and a half ago now coming up on two years ago right we're like two months away from the two-year mark yeah so people now are going to you know be going back on their predictions you know there are people like me idiots like me that thought this was going to be a three to four week blip on the radar and there are people that said right out of the gates, prepare for a couple of years. Well, I remember when SARS hit Canada and it was Toronto centric. Yeah. Um, that's where, you know, the hot spot was. Yeah. It lasted, you know, a couple of months maybe. And so, yeah, that's what my benchmark was. SARS was always one of those ones where if it didn't impact you directly, I, I, I guess this is my personal perspective, mm. but if it didn't impact you directly, if you didn't know somebody fighting it, if you, then, then you didn't take it that seriously. Yeah, well, I just kind of was like, it, it was a blip. And, yeah. um, you know, people did lose their lives. So I don't want to minimize that. But the idea that, yeah, it didn't it didn't kind of take off and um, explode across the world. Um, so like two COVID years did. coming up, like we'll, we'll call it maybe the third week of February, certainly the second week of March, two years ago was when yeah. everything started getting yeah. canceled. Today's also the National Day of Remembrance and Action on Violence Against Women, December 6th is uh, a day where Canadians remember 14 women that were senselessly murdered at Montreal's Ecole Polytechnique. Uh, other people were injured in that shooting. Uh, 10 women and four men also injured. And it's hard to believe 32 years ago at an engineering school, Ecole Polytechnique affiliated with the University of Montreal, uh, a man that that certainly, uh, I think, personified and, and uh, carried out violence in the name of the exact type of mindset the exact type of hatred that we try to encounter that we try to talk about that we try to confront and that we try to take action on on this show not just on december 6th but throughout the calendar year and i think that every december 6th it's important to say these women's names uh and that's an exercise that i know that canadians will be participating in today as an act of remembrance and it's an acknowledgement that this is 
an issue that uh, remains today, the issue of violence against women, a misogyny. It's one that we talk about as we remember Maurice Lagagnier, uh, Maurice Leclerc, Maude Havernick, Anne-Marie LeMay, Anne-Marie Edouard, Annie Saint-Arnaud, Annie Turcotte, Barbara Daniel, Barbara Klusnik, Genevieve Bergeron, Helen Colgan, Michelle Richard, Natalie Croteau, and Sonia Pelche. We encourage you to say their names today and to to ponder on that. Sarah, as we went through our, uh, you know, our our rundown for today in our production meeting, we actually dropped a couple stories because we realized so many of them had to do with firearms. We we keep an eye on what makes news over the weekend. Monday morning shows typically we look at the week ahead, but we look back on the week that was as well. And a lot of people are talking about uh, U.S. Representative Thomas Massey, Republican. Did I need to say that? I don't know. Drawing criticism after uh, this tweet. This is their family Christmas photo. You see this, the, all of you know him and his family holding these. If I call them assault weapons, people will get upset. If I call them semi-automatic rifles, that'll probably someone will take some issue with. Why do people get upset if you say assault? Oh, they don't like the word assault. Well, people that's like what the they are. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people 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 get a lot of high, Sam. You're, Sam, you're sort of nodding knowingly. You know, you've, you've you've had you've heard these conversations. I think even on this show before, people get really touchy. People get really sensitive about the words that you use, right? When you when when you use these weapons, these guns. You know, I feel like your facial expression saying all people listening on the podcast won't see if you kind of have one of those mm-hmm kind of looks on your face. Yeah, this is just the way it is. Uh, of course, keep in mind that last week, like Hoyles, this this was posted uh, on December 4th. Right. So this was posted on Saturday, which was five days removed from a shooting in Oxford, Michigan, in a school that saw four people killed. A uh, 15-year-old accused in that fatally shooting four classmates. You saw his parents were charged too. James and Jennifer Crumbly with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Uh, this is, uh, I mean, really, really the timing of this. I mean, you know, people say, well, this is our Christmas photo. You know, we're a family of gun enthusiasts. It's like, what do you, what do you want us to do? You know, we have a right to bear arms. In the U.S., it's like a big deal. It's a huge deal. It always seems to be a couple of days after a school shooting or a couple of days after a shooting in a workplace and people start coming out posing with their rifles like somebody's going to come and try to take them away. So asks uh, Representative Thomas Massey out of the U.S., you know, Merry Christmas, Santa, please bring ammo. That's what a lot of people were talking about. Here's what a few people had to say about it online in response. We saw this tweet from. uh, I want to get to a few of the social media posts that were up here. Uh, and, and, and of course, we chose like a few out of thousands. Uh, Fred Gutenberg here, who, who lost a loved one, as you can see, replied to the representative, said, you know, since we're sharing family photos, here are mine. Uh, one's the last photo that I ever took of Jamie, her daughter, and the other is where she's buried following the Parkland school shooting. And, and then he goes back and he says the Michigan school shooter. He has a comment about the Michigan school shooter, says he and his family used to take photos like yours as well. And there it is, a photo of his daughter and her gravestone. So that's a pretty powerful one. How about this next one? This was another post in in response to the representative. Someone said, hey, here's a photo. Here's a photo out of Oxford, Michigan. Check this out. Thousands of people in the street uh, in mourning and grieving and in protest following that school shooting. Thousands and thousands of people in the streets. And this one I thought was pretty bang on as well from from well-known American Walter Schaub political, uh, you know, a lot of involvement in politics said, oh, look, it's Yalqaeda. 
I thought that he kind of nailed that on the head with regards to that gun culture. So you can let us know what you think about that. We don't we don't typically see family photos like that in Canada. You know, I think if you were going to see like I mean, if you were going to see a family photo involving firearms, especially around Christmas, it, it might be something like, you know, a couple hunting rifles out and people might have like it might be someone's deer. They just got a couple of weeks ago. Or something like that or a big goose hunt or something they've got like three or four geese there and they're about to you know we we wish you a bountiful feast or a bountiful harvest these holidays you don't really see canadians posing like that there's a huge cultural i mean maybe this is the most obvious thing i'll say all week but there's a massive cultural difference between canada and the u.s when it comes to guns not that we don't have issues here not that teenagers don't get shot with handguns in urban centers not like we don't have accidents not like people don't get killed because they do We do see gun violence. It does happen. We're not immune, but culturally so different. I I hope so. <laughs> I, I'd like to think so. But I also feel like, uh oh, are we now going to get inundated with uh, photos from different corners of the web uh, on Canada's? I'd be interested to see them, though, if they mm-hmm. do exist. You yeah. know, I just don't. Th- I don't know. Do you think I'm on or off? Do you think I'm bang on or bang? Am I trying to get think, Canadians off the hook here? Maybe no, I am. I've been I, guilty I of that you're before. On. I I heard somebody say it to me once, and I think he was really spot on to this. He said that like you know, in Canada, we consider guns sporting equipment. Yeah, it's different. It's we don't. Obviously, there's exceptions, and I mean, I was wincing at the whole idea of assault rifles because yeah, they're 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 big guns meant to shoot a lot of bullets at once. Yeah. If we can't use the word assault rifle for that, I don't really know what the right word is. So that's why I was just kind of rolling my eyes over here. But as for Canada, like, yeah, you'd see somebody posing with like, you know, a nice hunting rifle. Maybe. Yeah. That's about all you'd get. Like, and, and, I'm, I'm with I, you there. And I don't have any problem with that. I mean, I, I, I respect the hell out of people that go hunting. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but I think it's I think it's I just respect the hell out of people that go hunting and harvest that protein for their own families that do all the work. I've said I've said for 10 years and to this point to this point, I remain a hypocrite. Uh, but I've said that if you eat meat in any context, in any way, I think that at least once in your life, you should track, hunt and butcher an animal. I think that you should understand. I think you should pull the trigger. I think you should see what I think you should reconcile that within yourself. I know right now. And here's just a, here's one angle on my hypocrisy. Um, I, I know that if I saw a beautiful, if I saw a magnificent buck or if I saw that big moose come out of the, and, and I know I would have a very difficult time pulling that trigger. I know I would have a very difficult time, but if somebody comes up to me right now and says, would you like to try this elk tenderloin? I would be like elbowing people out of the way to be first in line. I just think about, uh, the TV show, the walking dead, which is about zombies and the zombie apocalypse. And who do you want around? You want the guy that has the crossbow you do you want the, the the folks that can you know kill the brain of the zombie um because that's how they reanimate so yeah i'm thinking of the zombie apocalypse is what i'm thinking you of. took this in a very different direction than where i thought it was gonna go equally valid <laughs> equally valid Sandra says assault weapons are not used for hunting animals. You know, uh Shalane says her friend moved to Texas. First thing the neighbor did was ask him over to see the guns in the garage. Shalane says that's never happened to me here. That could also just be a casual flex. Like, you know, if you guys are the type to steal from your neighbors, don't steal from this house. We protect this house. Yeah. You always see those signs in the U.S. This home protected by 357 Magnum or whatever the sign says. Heidi says she hunted one deer in her life, said I so, felt so awful after so I felt so guilty. He was just out living his life and I killed him. I mean, I guess. Sure. We, we, we have a guest going. I got to get to this. I can't we can't keep ruminating about this, but that's the whole point, though. That's my whole point. 
I, I made Wyatt a phenomenal brunch on Saturday morning with eggs and bacon like that. That pig was out there just enjoying its life, too. Have you ever actually got close to a pig and looked it in the eyes? They're intelligent animals. Pigs are beautiful animals. And that's why I'm a vegetarian. Yeah, fair enough. And I understand that perspective, too. I couldn't do it. I told it. you two of my pals, one of my cousins is involved in it. I have a $5,000 bet on whether or not I'll still be eating meat in 10 years. TLDR, I will be. One of them is about to lose five grand, but I understand. I understand. My brother's gone vegan. I mean, he's, you know, you ask him about it. We've had fascinating and challenging conversations, and I love it. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to learn what we need to know about Omicron. Right now, I wanted to remind you that at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, I know not everybody's looking to put a, you know, a new key under the Christmas tree this year, but for those that are, there's no better experience in tracking down either anything out of the Jeep lineup. They got that new Grand Wagoneer, the Grand Cherokee L with the third row of seating. Plus, they finally got a decent amount of stock on those Ram 1500s, the most popular truck in Canada right now. The supply has been an issue for dealerships all around the world. You know that, but it's never been better the past year and a half than it is right now at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. The biggest sale of the year. You can find them online, shop their inventory online, or go see them in person. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Our friends at Eden Landscaping have a great suggestion for you. If you're looking for a unique gift, what about gifting someone a landscape design? How cool would that be? I mean, you have the idea generally of what they'd love to see. Maybe it's your partner. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your parents or your kids. Whatever the case may be, the gift of landscape design can get the ball rolling on a new project and can inspire that gift recipient more than perhaps anything else you can give. It's a gift that they'll enjoy literally every day of the year. You can find all the details or start that conversation by visiting Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. And of course, our hashtag, you know this is powered by the team at Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider. You can compare rates right on their website. You want to know if you can get a better deal? Right now, you maybe are looking at the variable rate or the fixed rate. It's so easy to switch over because they handle all the work. You don't have to sit on hold with your previous provider. They'll do that for you. And the promo code 2021-REALTALK is going to get you $70 off your first bill. No strings attached at parkpower.ca. Well, how much do you know about this new COVID variant, Omicron? Experts are saying that it's to be taken seriously, that the implications of, of how contagious it is or how serious it can be is, is nothing uh, to joke about, to be certain it's prompting travel restrictions uh, in Canada on those arriving from 10 different countries, which we'll get into in just a little bit. Experts say this new mutation is potentially more transmissible. Dr. David Marchand is the Canada Research Chair in Viral pathogen- Pathogenesis. I'll get David on here to correct my pronunciation. I don't even know how to pronounce it, let alone be an expert on it. He's a member of the Alberta Respiratory Center, the Li Ka-Shing Institute of Virology, a consortium of researchers that are supporting discovery in vaccines, treatments, and diagnostic tests for viral diseases affecting humans. This guy knows what he's talking about. Dr. Marchand, welcome to Real Talk, and thanks for making time for us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on here. Yeah, you bet. We, we, were, we were kind of speaking glibly, I guess, in a way about how we were wrapping our minds around COVID-19 coming up on two years ago. And I wondered if it might be three weeks or four weeks that everything would be all shut down. And, 
And a couple of my pals were on the record right out of the gate saying, oh, no, this is going to be two years for sure. If you think back a couple of years ago, I mean, you're an expert. How are you wrapping your mind around what you were seeing? And has it played out kind of how you thought it might? No, uh, this has been a a learning experience for me. I I had no clue. I I think if you have too much information uh, or a little information is a bad thing, I knew that we have OC43 and NL63, and these are coronaviruses very similar to this uh, pandemic virus that are circulating. I thought maybe uh, it would be a three, four week uh, emergency period. I had no idea there'd be we'd be down for two years, and I had no idea it would be as serious as it is. I, I've been learning just as much as everybody else. Mm. So can you help us? Uh, first of all, can I say how it, it almost makes me feel better uh, to hear someone like you say that? So then I go, OK, well, maybe I don't feel like such an idiot because I, I felt like we were kind of under the impression that if everybody locked down and we didn't even really totally lock down. But if we shut things down and if we kept our distance and if we wore masks and if we sanitized our hands and and, and if we got vaccinated as soon as we could. And, and wow, what remarkable performance by researchers and developers around the world to get this vaccine done. Uh, in such an expedited fashion. But we kind of were led to believe that if we do all the things, we can stifle this thing out. We can stamp this thing out. So yeah. what is it about the coronavirus? What is it about COVID-19 and all these variants that allows it? It's almost like this cockroach type thing where it just keeps surviving. It keeps coming back. What have, what have people like you, researchers, learned about it? Well, you know, the game changer, I think, uh, between this and the 2003 SARS-CoV-1 was that when you got SARS-CoV-1 in 2003, uh, someone is grinding coffee in the background. We are a home that is fueled by coffee. Oh, can anyway. we, 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 I could listen to the sound of grinding coffee all day. We just had a new coffee sponsor announced today, so it kind of fits. It almost sounds like we're doing it on purpose, Doc. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Ninety percent of the joy in life I get is from coffee. Amen. Uh, um, so yeah, so the, the game changer between two thousand three SARS CoV one uh, was that yeah, that with that virus, everyone when you got the virus, you got sick. You got really sick, and so there, when you're feeling really sick, you're not going to be very mobile, and you're not going to be spreading the virus around. What made this so different was that. You know, that German, um, those German businessmen met with that woman in early two, uh, 2020 and, and they got sick and they were asymptomatic. So they're walking around and spreading it, and not even knowing it. And um, this woman uh, didn't feel sick until long after she'd been spreading the virus. And so that's that's the real game changer here is that it can be spread by those who are asymptomatic and therein lie a lot of the reasons why we have to be so careful is because you can be you can be going for a run you can be uh um you know working out and spreading meanwhile spreading virus and that's why we wear masks and we hand sanitize uh et cetera et cetera because you can have the virus and not even know it uh, I, for example, uh, was going for one of my runs and uh, ended up passing out. Um, and it turned out that a few few days, yeah, I blacked out uh, before I even before before I even hit the ground. And uh, it turns out uh, I came up very positive for SARS-CoV-2 about two days later because I started to feel sick. And so chances are um, I passed out as a result of my SARS-CoV-2. 
but you had had no red flags, no warnings ahead of time. You were putting yourself no. through the paces. No, I, I felt a little tired, but I always do on a Friday before sure. I go for my run. And, uh, but then I go for a run and I feel great. And, but, uh, two minutes in, uh, bam right into the pavement <laughs> wow I'm, I'm glad you're okay i mean uh to say the very least that could have turned into a, a head injury for you in a bad way um th- this this omicron variant uh what do they call it b11529 i mean the average person doesn't need to know or care about that but we do need to know about this mutation what do we know about this one they're saying it's potentially more transmissible it's been detected in almost 40 countries already including canada and the U.S. Uh, any anything about this one that makes it at least at this point that we know about that makes it uh, especially uh, particularly different? Well, uh, yeah, it, in that it is quite different. It's got thirty has at least thirty mutations, thirty of which lie in the that 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 surface spike protein that sits on the surface of the virus. When you, everyone's probably sick and tired of seeing viruses, but they're these little balls with. Uh, proteins that uh, line the surface of the uh, the virus, and they interact with the host cell and uh, trigger entry and infection. Um, they have thirty mut- uh, amino acid mutations, which is quite a bit, and uh, so uh, uh, quite different. And so the major concern is whether or not. Uh, the the vaccines we that billions of us have been given will still be. Uh, effective against this because the the, the principal uh, neutralizing antibodies we produce the the important antibodies that uh, protect us from the virus are to are against that spike protein and they need to bind to that spike protein to offer protection and if if these mutations uh, have made it sufficiently different that anti- our antibodies don't recognize the spike, then um, maybe those who are vaccinated could be infected as though they're not vaccinated. So uh, that's that's the major concern. The good news, uh, to me anyway, is that this virus was not, it wasn't detected as a result of uh, um, some say particularly severe patients in the ICU wards who were bleeding from their eyes and ears and um, spinning around and um, spewing blood everywhere. It came from routine surveillance of uh, of sequences of SARS-CoV-2. So it it looks like it was just a, a happenstance that some researchers, oh, hey, look at this. This is a, this looks like a new one. This is quite different. And indeed, it is quite different. And uh, I think more good news. And But this is, mind you, this is just um, uh, conjecture. It's not supported by scientific research. But uh, another researcher's opinion is that this may have been around since last year uh, and that it's just it's just being detected now. Um, but so the, the, the good news is that it's not associated with any particular severity in SARS-CoV-2. Uh, and what it's probably a, a product of is what, what in my lab we, we refer to as uh, virus domestication. Uh, we study the domestication of respiratory viruses in my particular lab. And we find that um, the mutations that viruses must undergo to evade host immunity makes them um, tends to make them less virulent, uh, more more transmissible. And we've seen this with respiratory syncytial virus, whereas those viruses that are less severe in the, in the community 
they have a, they're, they're all quite different in terms of uh, sequence, uh, but they're more transmissible in that you need fewer virus particles to infect a cell. We've gotten, let me ask you about this. We've got a, a, a viewer by the name of Dwayne that's tuned in this morning, and he says, uh, in the 1970s, we never had things like this. Times have changed. Is that accurate medically? And if so, why? Well, uh, we, we have. Uh, um, I, I don't, you know, I respectfully disagree with Dwayne. With um, so there are other coronaviruses similar, quite similar to SARS-CoV-2 that are currently circulating due to 9E, uh, HKU1. And it's thought that some pandemics that humans have had recorded or, uh, you know, stories we passed down about 100 years ago could it could have been the result of the on of uh, hku1 or uh, oc43 becoming um, endemic so they started out as pandemics as well we have the 1918 influenza pandemic uh, which was that brought us h1n1 influenzas and uh, that we still know of uh, h1n1 or the 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 uh, the clinical, the, the doctors that deal with infection uh, or a medical microbiologist, they know it as PDM09, which is still circulating to this day. That was really a, a resurgence of the H1N1 in the 2009 influenza pandemic. It's here today, but that, that originally uh, came on scene into the human population in 1918. Mm. Uh, Doc, this, uh, I mean, as mentioned, this variant detected in, in about 40 countries, um, and, and travelers now with regards to Canada's travel restrictions coming in from non-U.S. foreign destinations will take a COVID test upon arrival, even if they're vaccinated. Uh, so it's irrelevant in that context. And Canada's put more stringent travel restrictions on those arriving from these 10 flagged countries, including South Africa. And I know this one uh, seems to be most notably controversial, considering people are saying, listen, South Africa is the, the nation that flagged this. And it's now being punished for this. It could prompt other nations. I, I, it reminds me, it's reminiscent a little bit of the mad cow reporting, isn't it? Where people reported mad cow disease on their ranches a while back. And people said, well, you're going to well, all you're going to do, former Premier Klein, shoot, shovel and shut up. You're going to prompt people to not report it. I don't know if it's the same. You may say that that's a ridiculous comparison. But also Namibia, Zimbabwe, Botswana, you know, Mozambique, Egypt among them, Malawi. Do you think that travel bans are effective? Is this the right move with regards to foreign policy? I, I'm not a policy. I'm not a policymaker, and thank God for that. Because I, <clears throat> they're, they're making. They have to make policies that influence economy and uh, social structure. Uh, and and I, I, I don't know if I could deal with that kind of responsibility. But I think that put into their position, uh, these these policymakers are. They have their panels of experts uh, far brighter than me. <clears throat> and they they look at models and so what they're concerned about is um the, the efficacy of their vaccines and whether or not their people will be protected so um you know they put billions of dollars into vaccination <clears throat> so maybe it's a good idea to slow the the uh the, you know the migration of people from these areas where the omicron variant uh uh, arose or where it was found uh, but it doesn't surprise me that it's that it's uh, 
it was in Canada because it it seems to have flown under the radar for some time. And I think that might be because it's less uh, severe. Okay. So that's kind of, I don't know if a silver lining might be a weird way to put it, but it's something of note to kind of balance out. I think a lot of the conversation about this, because you know how this goes, not everybody gets, that's why we're grateful for interviews like this. Cause, cause a lot of times these are conversations that are happening at hockey practice or right. Or, or, or people are walking their dogs at the dog park. We don't have a virologist there to help kind of balance the conversation out. I mean, ultimately what it comes down to is you note that there could be implications with regards to uh, vaccines and, and their staying power, if you will, their efficacy. So people will kind of wonder, well, gosh, you know, we've been waiting so long for kids five to 11 to be able to get their vaccines. We've been waiting so long to, to be able to get to a point where we can start to take a bit of a load off our chest, you know, to feel a little bit less anxiety around this. And then we hear that the vaccines might not even be effective anymore. What, what would be your measured reasonable advice for anybody that might now wonder what can I do to protect myself? What can I control of all the things I cannot control? What are some of the things I, I can? Well, get vaccinated. Yeah. <clears throat> I still think that we're, you know, even if there's a little less protection, uh, the vaccines are still uh, working. And uh, this is the expert opinion uh, by the World Health Organization is that uh, vaccines are still effective against uh, the Omicron. And uh, I mean, that's why I got my son vaccinated. He's six and I got him vaccinated on Friday because uh, vaccines are beneficial and the viruses are dangerous. Uh, It's... uh, vaccines are safe and <clears throat> virus. The reason we have vaccination is because uh, uh, viruses are, are dangerous things. And uh, we're just learning now about some of the long-term effects of SARS-CoV-2. Um, I mean, uh, I myself have seen that in, you know, asymptomatic uh, hearts from asymptomatic animals and humans have little micro infarcts throughout them. SARS-CoV-2 is causing an infarct is where a blood vessel has been cut off and and there's um, um, uh, some dead tissue behind it. And uh, so we have these these micro almost heart attack causing um, foci in in hearts infected by SARS-CoV-2. And so when I heard we had a vaccine uh, after seeing those samples, I was uh, more than happy to get my vaccines because mm. uh, it just, it's just another demonstration of how vaccines are so much safer than suffering the virus infection itself. Yeah, well said. How, how'd your little guy do after the vaccine? Did okay? It was fine. Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah, playing mine. hop on pop. And, yeah, mm. mine too. I was, you know, the little, yeah. the little, little poke in the arm, like a mosquito bite. And then we're yeah. kind of bracing ourselves. Like, you know, maybe he gets a little bit sick. No, he was just, he was nails. Yeah. It was awesome. It was good to see. Doctor, thanks so much for your time this morning, your expertise. Sure. We wanted to bring like some, some just like a, a, a voice of reason to all of this uh, with a lot of facts behind it as much as we can know about this. And we appreciate it. Okay. You got it. That's Dr. David Marchant, a Canada research chair. Uh, out of the uh, Lee Kashing Institute of Virology. Good stuff. I want to get to an email uh, about kids and COVID shots in just a second. Uh, first, take a quick second to remind you that the McBain holiday sale is on right now, and you can save $400 on the Fujifilm X-T4 camera body. Everybody's talking about the Fujifilm X-T4. Whether it's photography or videography, this has been designed to be the ultimate hybrid image making tool 
It's got a powerful 26.1 megapixel sensor, state-of-the-art five-axis in-body image stabilization. That's a huge deal in low light or at a big zoom. You want that image stabilization. It's only $18.99.99 right now as part of this McBain holiday sale. 24-hour delivery available within Edmonton. In-store pickup at all six locations. You can see the full list of Fujifilm holiday deals right now at McBainCamera.com. McBain, create to inspire. We want you to, if you're considering heading out of town, I know a lot of people are saying we've, we've been vaccinated. We need a break. It's been two years. We're taking the kids and we're going somewhere hot. You can park your money in the bank, park your car at Jet Set Parking at Edmonton International Airport. Jet Set is locally owned and operated. Their prices simply cannot be beat. Your reservation includes free shuttle service to the airport from heated shelters. And you can book right now with the promo code REALTALK at jetsetparking.com for $5 a day for all travel till the end of 2022. Not for like three more weeks, not the end of this year, the end of 2022. You can book in advance. The promo code REALTALK at jetsetparking.com gets you $5 a day parking at Edmonton International Airport. And of course, we're thrilled to officially today make available for public sale the Real Talk cask number one in partnership with Woody Creek Distillers. You probably saw my interview, yes, not yesterday, last week with William H. Macy. How cool to have William no big H. Deal. No big deal. William H. Macy <laughs> on the show. And David Matthews. They kept calling him Dave. I was like, of all the Dave Matthews we've had on the show, <laughs> he's the most famous so far. But William H. Macy and master distiller Dave Matthews joined us to talk about what makes our Real Talk cast number one bourbon so special. It's a 100% Olathe corn whiskey. It's a bourbon out of Colorado and whiskey. Uh, I mean, this whiskey enthusiast, bourbon enthusiast, I know we're going to love it. It's 100 proof. It's 100 bucks. And you can pick it up right now in person in Edmonton at Sherbrooke Liquor or Whiskey Drop and in Calgary at Vine Arts. Now, this is a special limited release, which means there we, we got the whole cask. It means that there's only 210 bottles. I'm taking a few of them. <laughs> Thank you for your transparency. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm taking a few of them myself. And uh, our Patreon supporters have had pre-sale to this. And so we know that there's been a big response, but there are some left. We've held some to make sure it wasn't sold out on today, on launch day. So Sherbrooke Liquor Whiskey Drop and Vine Arts is where you can find the Real Talk cask number one by Woody Creek Distillers. There's only ever going to be one cask number one. I just loved hearing from the distiller talking about how at first he didn't really like it. Yes. And it it took time because he was trying out using this corn. Yeah. Um, this interview, you got to listen to it. It, He was like, it had to find itself. Well, it's, and it's aged six years in these yes. oak barrels. This is, by the way, like the ad read's done. So this is just the bonus discussion. This is this is just me going on and on and on about the real talk cask number I'm one. I'm encouraging you, though. Yeah. And so, like, obviously, like, you know, there's one here. Like, look at this. For a, for a, for a booze bottle in studio, that is still, I would say, admirably full. Right? Wouldn't you say that we all deserve a round of applause for keeping yeah, this, this bottle? Right oh, yeah, now. where's our live studio audience recognizing the fact that we've... Okay, that sounds like a bit more of a jeer. <laughs> <laughs> they're probably just pissed we're not sharing with yeah, them. Yeah, they're like... 
which is fair enough. But yeah, so they sent me Woody Creek when we decided to do this, when we decided to partner, when they were like, would you like to work with William H. Macy? And I was like, like the, yeah, yeah, the William. Yes. Okay. And so they sent me four different cask samples, right? So there were four wildly different tastes. And then we'd bring them down to 50 or to to 100 proof to 50 percent. And so so we were tasting full cask strength. And this was the one that I went. I'm in love with this one. So I hope everybody likes it. Got this email from Joel, the electrician. Uh, Keep in mind, every month we're awarding our real talk email of the month. Last month, it was Michael for getting us thinking on accents. And I appreciate that. Michael's got a real talk crescent mug on its way in the mail. Michael, thanks for being such a great and involved real talker. Uh, Joel, the electrician, taking us up on our offer to read your emails to talk at RyanJesperson.com. He heard Brinley's email a while ago. Brinley, what was it? It was positive reflections, wasn't it? It was it, Brinley wrote in. I can't remember when we read it, but she was she was talking about how, you know, her, her little one had had got their shot, their vaccine. And she was so impressed with like the lab techs and everybody else that had been doing the dog, all, the dog, the service dog, like the or what you would call it, an emotional support dog, I should say. And uh, and then all the kids that were in there, the parents, the grandparents, it's a great email. And so Joel just wrote in to say, I want to say thank you. And it's all caps. He says, I have uh, a needle phobia that I'm sure was passed down to me from my dad. And I've been very intentional not to pass that phobia on to my kids. Uh, We talk about shots and needles. So they're not a surprise for our kids. Plus, he says, of course, Ryan, like you said, a Dairy Queen blizzard for the whole family. When anybody gets a shot in order to make it a more positive and exciting experience Uh, over the last two weeks. I've seen my seven-year-old's anxiety about that shot rise to very high levels, even tears, um, and even a demand from our seven-year-old that we turn off the TV when the news is talking about shots, about vaccines. She's booked uh, to the end of December uh, for her shot and, and, and knows it, but she demanded we erase it from the family calendar hanging in the kitchen because she didn't want to be reminded of it every day. And so we removed it from the calendar. And then I came home one day last week and me and my two daughters, the others four, we went to Twitter and Real Talk told me about Big Bird from Sesame Street and his tweet. Big Bird's on Twitter, you know, and his tweet about getting the COVID shot. And we read Big Bird's tweet multiple times. And my daughter's mood about getting her shot instantly changed. Can you imagine how many thousands of people would have the same story? Joel says, even better. This last Tuesday night, the kids are upstairs getting ready, and then the older one uh, yells down to my wife and I, hey, mom and dad, how do you spell COVID? And my response was a little bit of fear, not knowing what she was doing or why she needed to spell COVID. And so I asked why she needed to know. And she responded, I'm marking my shot on my calendar. And she was referring to her personal calendar that she hangs in her room. And I was so proud of her. Normally, this calendar is reserved for basketball practices and trips or you know, to her grandparents' house. And she has a noticeable difference in mood now about her COVID shot. So thank you, Real Talk, says Joel, the electrician. Shots aren't fun, but thanks for doing your part to help. He says, I'm sorry, I'm a podcast listener. I'm like a week behind, but I had to share this with you. That's amazing, Joel. And so I appreciate that. And a shout out to your kids, especially your seven-year-old. That's uh, that's pretty incredible to hear. That makes me get a little bit choked up. Not going to lie to you, because, of course, it can be a terrifying thing for kids. Adults can hate it, but everybody's doing their part. And I think that's absolutely amazing. If you're paying attention to news down in the U.S., you know that they're talking about Roe v. Wade again. People are talking about access to abortion, women's reproductive rights, the Supreme Court. But of course, this debate, this discussion, this divide is not evident just in the United States. 
So we wanted to learn a little bit more about what's going on with our American neighbors, plus be able to put it into context here. How different or similar are some of these movements, these conversations in Canada? Jill Doktoroff is the executive director of the National Abortion Federation Canada. The bulk of her career has been in the nonprofit sector, uh, focusing on sexual and reproductive health and rights. She served on the board of directors for NAF, National Abortion Federation, Canadians for Choice and Options for Sexual Health. In the meantime, Elizabeth Smith joined the Center for Reproductive Rights in 2018, responsible for overseeing the center's state and local policy and advocacy program within the United States. Her work involves developing and managing the center's reproductive rights policy initiatives and strategies. It's a pleasure to welcome both of them uh, to the show this morning. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, uh, Elizabeth. Uh, I guess uh, the question I'm asking you now, you could probably take 25 minutes to answer if you wanted to. But can you bring us up to speed on how you would characterize the discussions and some of the action going on in the United States right now? So last Wednesday, the Supreme Court of the United States heard the case Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And this is a case that comes out of Mississippi. Mississippi in 2018 enacted a 15-week abortion ban that is blatantly unconstitutional because the holding of Roe v. Wade says that prior to viability, it is the pregnant person who gets to decide whether to continue their pregnancy or not. So essentially, the state of Mississippi has asked the Supreme Court to overrule Roe and to over overrule Casey and to let states decide when abortion is legal and when it could be accessible. And so the center and all of our colleagues and partners that do abortion rights and abortion access work are incredibly concerned about the future because if the Supreme Court was to side with the state of Mississippi in this case, that would mean that up to 24 U.S. states would likely criminalize abortion, which would put abortion care out of access, out of reach for people in the South and the Midwest of the United States. Okay, and this is, I mean, is is this uh, almost sort of a, I mean, I guess, gosh, we could probably go state by state here. I'm asking you these big, huge questions and, and asking for your analysis, but is this a, a cultural thing? I mean, I mean, do we say, well, we're looking to the U.S., the, you know, the Bible belt, so to speak, this is, this is uh, you know, an argument about the sanctity of life. I mean, this is, the, these are the same states that, that would have typically had this play politically over the past hundred years, or is something happening present day? Is there a new movement? Is there is there is there a youth movement? What's what's changed? Why now? I think when you look at the states that are trying to ban abortion, these are the same states that are also trying to limit voting rights and to limit access to the voting booth. These are also the states that have really terrible uh, child and uh, women health health outcomes, right? So we are looking at states that haven't expanded access to Medicaid, the public health program that pays for health care. These are states that have really high maternal mortality and morbidity rates. And so when we talk about what is at stake, we are really talking about states that are making political decisions through their legislatures not to support proven strategies that help women, children, and families, but instead are focused on banning abortion, which is simply a reproductive health care procedure. Jill, I uh, earlier in this show, we were ta- we were talking about, I mean, obviously, it's, uh, you know, an anniversary today of, of a horrific mass killing at Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal. And we were, we were talking about gun culture and gun violence. And, and I said, you know, I, I, I perceive there to be quite a different culture between Americans and Canadians. I don't know if that's actually true. I think it is. 
But I also think on the flip side, as Canadians, we, we kind of look down our noses a little bit, don't we? We say, oh, the Americans through the Black Lives Matter movement, Americans have such a problem with racism. But we don't really look into our own backyard and recognize all the time that we have equal issues. We have equal problems. We are not we cannot absolve ourselves of these types of issues. Is there a cultural difference in the U.S. versus Canada when it comes to women's reproductive rights and access to abortion? Or do you look at what's happening in the U.S. and go, hey, this could just as easily happen here? I'm not sure I would say that there is a cultural difference. What I think I would say is that there is a historical difference. So the history of abortion rights in Canada is quite different than the history of abortion rights in the United States. And so in Canada, um, we had the 1988, uh, what's most commonly known as the Morgenthaler decision, which decriminalized abortion. So in Canada, we haven't had a law related to abortion care for more than 30 years. So abortion care in Canada is integrated into our healthcare system in a different way than it is in the United States. That's where I think the the most um, significant difference lies between our two countries. And I do agree, sometimes we do look down our nose, but I think that um, that doesn't mean that abortion care is accessible and available to everybody in Canada, just like it isn't in the United States. I think the average Canadian might be surprised to learn that abortion was a crime in Canada up until 1988, right? The Supreme Court of Canada at that time struck down that law as unconstitutional. That's not ancient history. Absolutely. I mean, we do have a generation of people grown up thinking that abortion care is something that's readily available. Um, but we also have lots of people who, who remember the time before 1988 and even before 1969 when it was completely criminalized Um, we did have a a period between 1969 and 1988 where it was partially decriminalized uh so really you're right it's not long at all and we do need to be really diligent to make sure that um things aren't going to change in the future elizabeth i want to leave the question broad and, and somewhat vague on purpose uh what are the implications of an abortion ban So the implications of an abortion ban really are, they cause harm. They cause deep and lasting harm to people who are denied care. And so in the U.S., when we look at the patchwork of access we have, abortion is a fundamental right under our federal constitution. And so your access to abortion care should not be determined by where you live or by your identity. And that, and yet, that is the case today. And again, if the Supreme Court sides with the state of Mississippi, that will become even more true, which will mean that people with means will be able to travel to other states and get access to care. It will also mean that people who you know, are working to make ends meet, who don't have childcare, who can't get time off of work and don't have uh, the financial means to travel will not be able to, and they will be forced to continue a pregnancy against their will. Or, uh, I don't even know how to say this delicately, uh, but I mean, abortions, of, I, I, I know it's not just to say, people say, talk about back alley abortions. Um, you know, I, I, it feels awkward to put it that way, but that's a fact. People are, not everybody's going to continue the pregnancy just because they don't have access to a safe, medically supervised abortion procedure, right? So I think it's really critical to say that we are not in the same place that we were prior to 1973 when Roe was decided. Uh, Medication abortion is safe and effective regardless of where people take it and who is involved um, in the taking of medication abortion. So yes, we are in a different place. But the same states that have criminalized 
abortion care and want to prohibit it entirely, have also passed laws to limit access to medication abortion and to criminalize the possession of medication abortion. So we are in a place in the U.S. where predominantly people of color have been criminalized for pregnancy outcomes, for miscarriages, for example, and have been criminalized criminally have been penalized criminally, excuse me. And so when we look forward to a a time when potentially the Supreme Court sides with the state of Mississippi, yes, there are people who will self-manage their abortions, but also those people are potentially going to be facing criminal penalties if there is a prosecutor in the county where they live who wants to investigate you know, their miscarriage or the, the pregnancy outcome that they experienced. So while yes, medication abortion is safe, effective, and in demand, um, making this time different than pre-1973, we are also in a place where states are not willing to just prohibit abortion, but where people are actually looking to criminalize pregnant people for their pregnancy outcomes. Elizabeth, let me ask you in follow-up. I mean, you know, people were, were you know, warning about, you know, the, a Republican president uh, previously uh, Donald Trump and that the appointments to the Supreme Court uh, specifically in the context of abortion for years uh, talking about him stacking the Supreme Court. And I recognize that that had it been a Democratic uh, president, you know, a Democrat, people would have been saying, well, you know, you think that it's any different, uh, you know, that now now he'll try to push the court in the direction that would benefit Democrats or that policies. And, and, and of course, this is the debate that goes on and on and on. But how significant to you is the makeup of the current Supreme Court, specifically in the context of what we're talking about today? So I think it's really critical to remember that the makeup of the Supreme Court has changed numerous times. Justices have been appointed by Democratic presidents and Republican presidents, you know, in the past almost 50 years. But on Wednesday, we did hear the three justices appointed by President Trump make some really concerning statements. Um, We saw Justice Barrett talk about safe haven laws that allow people to essentially give up newborns without penalty. And she made the suggestion that that those safe haven laws negate the need for abortion care. And in response, I would ask, you know, what emotional, financial, physical toll pregnancy can take on someone, even if they, you know, are able to um, to give up their newborn without a penalty. We also heard Justice Kavanaugh talk about the uh, Constitution being neutral on abortion and returning uh, returning abortion law to the states. And again, when we are talking about a fundamental right, a human right, um, it's inappropriate to not have a, you know, a federal policy that covers access to that right for everyone, regardless of where they live. And so it remains to be seen what this court will do. Um, in this case, we'll probably get the decision in late spring, early summer 2022. But again, um, the comments that were made on Wednesday during oral argument were very concerning. Jill, obviously, you're, you're keeping a keen eye on this, and, and we're grateful to have you here to provide a Canadian perspective. Do you expect that the conversations, the court action, the Supreme Court's decision, subsequent state actions could have a direct impact on this in Canada? I wouldn't say necessarily it would have any impact on um, politicians or 
um, on how access is available, but we do see increased anti-choice activity when we see things in the United States um, escalated as they are today. So that's definitely a concern. We do have several provinces that have safe access zones, uh, geographic regions where protest activity is not uh, um, able to happen outside of abortion facilities, but we don't have them in all the provinces uh, where there are abortion facilities. So I think we need, definitely need to keep an eye out on protest activity um, as well as, um, you know, potential violent rhetoric. And also sometimes we do see private member bills introduced. We've seen several over the last 20 years that um, really would look to limit abortion care here in Canada. None of them have been successful to date, but we also need to be diligent to make sure that we're um, aware of when they're happening and that we really call them up for what they are because they often are in the guise of, of protecting the pregnant person's health or protecting safety. And, and what they really want to do is start to have limits um, on abortion care here in Canada. Hmm. Jillian says uh, she's watching live. You know, the worst part is that in the U.S. in particular, with no mat leave and expensive health care and expensive child care and unwanted pregnancy can absolutely ruin you uh, financially. Elizabeth, you're nodding your head. You want to pick up on that? I think, you know, I, I believe Jillian was the name of the person who mm -hmm. sent in the comment. I think that's a really important point, because when opponents of abortion talk about being quote unquote pro-life, they are also, um, you know, in control of legislatures that have the ability to put in, put policies in place that could actually help people form families and, you know, decide to raise children. But those policies are not in place. Um, and she pointed to some very specific ones, paid family leave, for example, um, access to health care and those things are necessary for people to be able to have families and to raise children and to thrive. And without those policies in place and with abortion bans in place, people are people are being harmed and will continue to be harmed. Got some really interesting. I want to read as many of these comments as I can. I mean, it just oftentimes fuels this conversation. Uh, you know, Kimberly says my biological mother was 16 when I was born. I was adopted at nine days old by my parents. I'm grateful for the choices that my birth mom made. But I, uh, you know, I also acknowledge that if abortion was right for her, that would have been her choice. Fatima says southern states continue to find ways to uphold systems of supremacy. Uh, Eddie says, I can't believe abortion is still an issue. What year is it? Jill says, women's rights. The battle is frustrating. It's the only movement where you're also fighting your own. She says, you won't find LGBTQ people who are pro-conversion therapy or blacks who are pro-stop and search, which is kind of an interesting point. And we've got this comment from ja uh, James. Um, I just lost it. But but James basically said, uh, and, and I want to get into this as well, because I think that, I mean, it's it's democracy works this way and doesn't. Uh, oftentimes, it is a loud minority that drives discussion on any number of issues. Um, but I'd be curious for I want to ask both of you about this. Um, you know, James says the truly tragic thing is that the majority of Americans are pro-choice. And this is the tyranny of the minority. Uh, Elizabeth, we'll ask you about the states and then Jill, we'll get your take on Canada and where the, the general Canadian population is at. But Elizabeth, is this I mean, as James says, I mean, he, it's loaded language, but is this the tyranny of the of the minority? Absolutely. Um, when you look at polling in the U.S., approximately 70 percent of Americans support Roe v. Wade and want it to continue to remain the law of the land. They want abortion to be accessible, available, legal and 
what we have experienced over, you know, a number of decades in this country is that opponents of abortion have done their best to create stigma around this care, right? And so while the major, while we are the majority, we're also in a lot of ways silent, right? There is even a stigma about publicly saying that you support abortion rights. And so one of the things that I do as an individual is to talk to honestly, strangers, friends, family, and to say to people, tell other people that you support abortion rights. We are the majority, but we continually see this creation and perpetuation of stigma around abortion. And you'll see that um, with uh, anti-abortion legislators and activists who even create different names for abortion procedures. So for example, medication abortion, safe, legal, effective, in demand. Antis are now trying to call medication abortion, quote unquote, chemical abortion Mm. to make it sound, you know, to make it sound bad, unnecessary and horrific. And I think that's we see that everywhere. And so my call to action for Americans who support abortion rights is stand up, proclaim that you support abortion rights. We are the majority. Let's feel our power. Yeah. I. Oh, man. You know, I've. as a kid, I mean, I grew up in, in an evangelical conservative reality, and and I just know. I mean, I've I've I've, I've been at the rallies. I know, and I can and I can like I, I, the photos, the graphic photos, and the images, and the language, and it's all. And and I know what people will say. People that hear this interview right now that will be critical of this interview. That'll say you refuse to acknowledge that this is this is a young life. You won't call it a baby. You call it a fetus. You won't acknowledge it. And the and there's all. The, I mean, it's a very. It's because these people, the the the, the pro life crowd, or some will say the pro birth crowd, uh, will argue that that we don't have the courage to call it what it is, and that they'll continue to fight for these lives. You know, that like the the child doesn't have a choice, right? I mean, I, I just I'm, I'm I I could go on in this for an hour about the supercharged language and the, the demonstrations and the imagery and the power. And for a lot of people, they don't care that 70% of Americans or, and, and Jill, I want to give you a chance to comment on, on the Canadian dynamic. They don't care about that. Uh, they believe that they're fighting to save people's lives, right? I mean, you've seen it a ton in your line of work, obviously. Yeah, I'd like to say um, that same thing in Canada, the majority of Canadians we see poll after poll are pro-choice and want people to be able to make their own decisions about their pregnancy lives. And I wanted to comment on what you said, um, that kind of language that we hear so much has real impact on people's daily lives. So what we see with that stigma is that in smaller um, rural and remote communities, abortion care is less accessible. So here in Canada, abortion care with medication can be done in a primary care setting, meaning your family practice physician, nurse practitioners, have the ability to offer medication abortion, but we don't see it as prevalent as we could because of that stigma. People are concerned about how it's going to affect other elements of their lives, of yeah. their practice, of their communities. And really, it should be like that because the, we are the majority. Pro-choice people are the majority, both in Canada and in the United States. Hmm. I want to give both of you just a chance. If there's anything I haven't asked you about, if there's something relevant to this discussion, it's it's very likely that a dude may have missed a point or two in a conversation about women's reproductive rights. And so before we thank you for your time, uh, Jill, is there anything else you wanted to make sure we mentioned or you wanted to make sure you put in front of this audience? Yeah, I just want to say um, I want to reiterate what Elizabeth said is is really important is to be to be vocal. Ask your family care uh practitioner um do you provide medication abortion if not why not 
And um, to remember that if you are somebody who's out there and you need pregnancy support, um, NAF Canada does have um, a small fund. And we also have um, an information line that you can reach out to us if you just don't know where to go or what to do. Okay, you can find them online at NAF Canada. That's nafcanada.org. Elizabeth, last word to you. I just want to bring up two groups that are really helping people in the U.S. access care. The first are abortion funds, and those are local funds that raise money and then use that use those funds to help support people, you know, get access to procedures. So the National Network of Abortion Funds has a, a list of all the funds across the U.S. So if your listeners are wanting to support people, support the funds that will help people get access to care. The other group I want to bring up are independent abortion clinics in the U.S. They provide three-fifths of the abortion care in the U.S. annually, and um, Abortion Care Network lists all of those clinics and also has um, a fund that supports the clinics called Keep Our Clinics. So just shout out to abortion funds and to independent abortion providers because they are helping people in really difficult, <clears throat> really difficult circumstances across the U.S. every single day. That is Elizabeth Smith uh, from the Center for Reproductive Rights. You can find them online at reproductiverights.org. We've also been joined by Jill Doktoroff uh, from the National Abortion Federation Canada. Thanks both for your, your time here and your perspective. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, real talkers, we want to know how you feel about what you've heard, regardless of where you land on this. Uh, your perspective is important and valuable to us as we continue and drive these conversations. You can uh, be in touch with us anytime to talk at RyanJesperson.com. I suspect that, that this is subject matter. This is a debate where for a lot of people, you want to take some time to reflect on this. I mean, perhaps you could you could write a thesis right now immediately right this minute you could sit down and give us 25 pages but if there's something that really jumped out at you especially if you walk with this interview you think about it if you'd like to share a personal perspective if you'd like to write it under a pen name or not we welcome your comments and we'll continue to keep an eye on this story Athabasca University has world-class accredited online programs and courses that offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle I was telling you late last week, I just found out. I mean, there's so much going on at Athabasca U that there's things that, that they don't even tell me about. And I dig around and I find out like through their Power Ed program. Our friends, our title sponsors at Bitcoin Well are, are, are working with Athabasca U to create the Bitcoin Academy where you can learn more about cryptocurrency and the blockchain and well, Bitcoin itself. How cool is that? You can learn French. You can learn psychology. You can learn AI. You can learn about reconciliation. I mean, it's an unbelievable depth of available course material. You want to do one course, you want to go earn a degree, sky's the limit at AthabascaU.ca. Our friends at Breathe Outdoors want to let you know that they've got a couple of really exciting things coming up, including their winter adventure sale. That starts on December 10th with 40% off select gear. We're going to be telling you more about that in days to come. But right now, I just want to remind you, you know, you've been shopping here. You've been trusting these folks with your outdoor needs for years. Remember Campers Village? Well, this is their big new rebrand because not everybody goes camping. Maybe you're a paddler. Maybe you love just walking the dog. That's your time outdoors. Maybe you're an ice climber. If so, power to you. That is not my thing. But if you are an ice climber, you'll find the gear you need in person at their beautifully redesigned stores or online at breatheoutdoors.ca. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food want to remind you that even if you're still feeding your dog kibble, there are things you can do to improve your pup's health. 
as you read and learn more about what quality raw food can do, check out Grand Dog, their Instagram, or you can check out their blog online at granddog.ca for some great health tips, plus supplements available. You just go to the shop now link at granddog.ca. They deliver right to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta. Don't forget the promo code Real Talk gets you 10% off your first time order. Supplements included at granddog.ca. We've got it. We've got a whole bunch uh, going on over the past while, including and we didn't we wanted to leave some time to make sure to talk about this Spotify wrapped phenomenon. <laughs> this is really cool. This is something, you know, Spotify, where a lot of you will be live streaming your music and, and uh, several thousand of you will certainly download the Real Talk podcast via Spotify. And we're so grateful for that. Well, at the end of every year, uh, Spotify allows its users to understand where they're going to the most for their content, which podcasts they listen to the most, which songs or which artists, which playlists they listen to the most. Then, of course, Spotify encourages you to push that out and let everybody know. You get some insights into what makes people tick, into people's interests, right, into the type of music they like listening to. Well, so many of you, and these aren't even all of them, but we, we wanted to grab several shouts out and shout out right back at you. These are some of the highlights that you've been sharing with us from Spotify wrapped like like this one here. This one from Tyler, who said 17,935 minutes listening to Real Talk this year. So thanks to to Jesperson and Hoyles and Brooks for for following the issues this year and for keeping it real. That's amazing. Almost 18,000 minutes. What about this one from Chris, who said Spotify? Let me know today that I've listened to 226 episodes, almost 36,000 minutes. Chris says congratulations on the success of Real Talk. That's just an incredible message to receive. Katie. Bragging rights for Katie, who says, check this out, 53,156 minutes listening to mostly these gems. And Katie shares her favorite podcast with us. She says, I love seeing Jespo's face there. We love seeing it, too. Number two on all the podcasts that Katie tunes into. We really appreciate that. Hey, we can celebrate being number two. Being number two is cool. I just love that you're like that face, that, that face, that beautiful mug. Love seeing that beautiful face. <laughs> And those minutes, that is time, time well spent. That is a major investment from Katie. Here's another one that really sort of filled our bucket, so to speak. This one from Jordy. Jordy tunes in from Eastern Canada, said to my number one podcast of 2021, Real Talk. Thank you for keeping me company on Spotify all year long. Jordy, a huge shout out to you. This one from Chad, who said, congratulations, Jesperson. Spotify calls us family now. He says, I mean, it could be worse. It's from Chad. I go, what do you mean? And so I clicked on it and check this out. He, he, he says, it's okay. He says, it, it, it's totally normal to consider your favorite podcast host a member of your family. Chad, chosen family. Chosen I family. accept. Chosen family. I accept, brother. Thank you so much for tuning into Real Talk. It means a lot to us when you download that podcast. Here's another one. This from Paul. Who ranks us number two in his all-time podcast. Really appreciate that, especially considering some of the big names in there, right? It's always nice. Good to see our friends at Oilers Nation on that list as well. At number three, no big deal. 
No big deal. Crazy Canuck says to my number one podcast of 2021 to Real Talk. Thanks for keeping me company. I love that one as well. Thank you so much for sharing your Spotify rap data. Very cool stuff. So a shout out to everybody. Now, year two, we, 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 we celebrated our anniversary conversations with Marie Hannon, a criminal defense lawyer, and Malcolm Gladwell, of course, on the 23rd of November. And then you may have noticed a bit of a difference, a, a bit of a tweak to our Real Talk format as we entered our second year. The show's a little bit tighter. The show's wrapping a little bit bit quicker we are so grateful for every single minute that you spend with us the more feedback we receive the more we realize that it was a really tough slog a lot of you said i want to be part of this show and i want this show to be part of my daily routine but i'm simply having too difficult a time finding two hours and 20 minutes or two and a half hours every day to tune in we thought well how could we blame you plus of course this team the truth is we've been Can I say horses? Would it be offensive if I say we've been whipping our horses all year trying to win those races? And every once in a while, your prized thoroughbreds need to be treated properly. And so we're tightening our show up a little bit. It makes it easier for us to bring you compelling content. And most importantly, we believe it's going to allow the show to continue to expand its footprint. We are so grateful for those of you that continue to subscribe to our content, to hit like, and most importantly, maybe to hit share, to let everybody else know where you're getting the conversation that means something to you, the real talk. And of course, your engagement will continue to drive our editorial process through year two and beyond. Thank you to all of you. It's been an incredible year one, and we're really excited and optimistic about what year two is going to look like. We value nothing you have is more precious or more valuable than your time. You know that. And we are so grateful for those of you that choose to give us your time every single day. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park, you knew this was coming. I said, what do you want us to talk to? What do we want us to speak to or or to highlight in the month of December? And they said, well, obviously the holiday log cakes. I mean, this is an annual tradition for the hardcore Dairy Queen. I mean, the aficionados know about the holiday log cake. Well, they're 50% off right now. All you have to do is mention Real Talk or drop my name at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. A big shout out to their teams for doing an amazing job. Of course, they've been keeping people fed through those drive throughs and now they're able to welcome you in-store safely. If you're in there, head to that freezer, grab a holiday log cake for 50% off through the month of December. Our friends at Friesen Brothers know that through the course of the holidays, a lot of times you want to be able to spend more time with your family and less time preparing food in the kitchen. That's why they invite you to leave your holiday prep, all the gourmet food that your guests or family will expect to the Red Seal chefs at Friesen Brothers. You can check them out online right now at Friesen.com and place your order for your holiday feast. Plus, keep in mind, they've got the famous Friesen Brother gift baskets that you can customize for whatever the occasion. Friesen Brothers, for more than 65 years, has been Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. 
Our friends at Local Waste, same deal. Family owned, just like they've been since day one. You can find them online at localwaste.ca. If you want to connect with them for a bin, you can do so in Edmonton or, of course, the province of Alberta. Big expansion announcements coming up soon. Not my announcement to make till they give me the green light, but also out of Regina. If you're tuning in from Saskatchewan, you have a construction project, a commercial or residential waste and recycling conundrum you need addressed. You want to deal with somebody driven by integrity? You can find them online at localwaste.ca. Don't forget that, of course, Trash Talk every Friday here on the show presented by our friends at Local Waste. And of course, there's the team at Kubi Energy as well. I love this. I saw this on their Instagram the other day, and and I thought, I've got to show this to the real talkers. This is so cool. Check this out. It's a Kubi installer. This is Alex, and he's got a big project underway. And then look at the landscape in the background. For those tuning in on the podcast, it is a mountainscape. Absolutely stunning. To me, it said a lot. We talk about protecting our environment. We talk about this transition to clean energy. Kubi's leading the charge on that. You can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. Our first show of every week, Kubi also, Kubi Energy that is, gets us started off on the right foot with a promotion called Positive Reflections. These are real emails submitted by you to talk at ryanjesperson.com. I love this from Lisa, who says, I wanted to share a positive reflection about a social media moment, considering how they can be so rare. Lisa says, I've been puzzling with the question of how to make friends as a middle-aged human. I've been struggling with it these days. In spite of the fact that I'm a socially anxious introvert, I know I need people but I have no idea how or where to meet them. I don't have the connections young kids used to bring with school or friends or sports. And while I enjoy my coworkers, I find it to be a rare thing to find a true friendship at work. So having thought about this for a while, I decided to bite the bullet and ask the question on Twitter just to see the type of responses I might get. Well, it wasn't what I expected. She said there were a lot of people saying, yeah, same here, which let me know I wasn't the only one struggling with this. I got a lot of suggestions from taking art classes to joining sports teams to looking for volunteer opportunities. But even better than that, I had a few kind women reach out to chat and I ended up being invited to beer and wings and to a ladies bowling night. The icing on the cake was having a well-known photographer whose work I just admire sending me a direct message saying that they completely related to my post. Maybe might I be interested to go shoot some photos together, talk photography or just life in general. After a few fangirl moments on my part, we had a nice chat, and I'm hopeful we'll make those plans. Lisa says, what I did not receive was any negativity. No shaming, no creepy DMs, nothing to suggest that I was unworthy of friendship. That surprised me the most. All of this to say there can be a positive side to social media. There are kind and thoughtful people mixed into the negativity and the ugliness I'm so happy I decided to take a chance and put myself out there, and I plan to put that great advice I received to work. Lisa says, by the way, I wish everybody a great week, and I want to remind you to check out the hashtag Art Advent Calendar on Twitter. She says the event was created by artist Jay Bigham, who's behind these fabulous paintings right here in the Real Talk studio. That's the Art Advent Calendar hashtag on Twitter. Thanks, Lisa. We appreciate it. And this one from Kayla. This is incredible. Sam, let's roll it. Kayla says, I honestly never miss an episode of Real Talk. She says, but I'm, I'm catching up right now because I was away in the Galapagos for a seven-day live aboard scuba cruise. What? 
She says, I've been contemplating sending you this for positive reflections, Ryan. Then I saw the November 18th episode and you went on and on about your relationship with scuba diving. And well, that sealed the deal. She says, it's the closest thing to religion that my husband and I have. All of our vacations are planned around where we want to dive next. She said, check this out. These are two spotted eagle rays. Dove with them for 20 minutes. She says, keep an eye into the background for a shark. And of course, this turtle near the end of our dive. She says, I can so relate to Ryan's description back on November 18th of what scuba diving means to him. It's such a magical experience. And I can't really describe in words the peace that being underwater brings me. Kayla says, thanks for being the reason I now feel informed about what's going on here in Canada instead of being constantly obsessed with American politics. Kayla, that dive video made our week and it's only a Monday. Thanks for taking the time to send it in and happy diving down the line. Friends, you can send us your positive reflections to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We love to hear the stories of random acts of kindness, moments that filled your bucket or made your day. We've got a big show in store tomorrow. More real talk about recent verdicts like the murder of Ahmad Arbery, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And what about these Unite the Right defendants found liable for more than $26 million in damages after that Charlottesville demonstration. We're also going to find out what it means for society and for Canada. Just one of the highlights to come this week on Real Talk. Thanks for making us one of your number ones, or even if we're number two, that's cool too. We appreciate you. Have an amazing week and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles, technical producer, Sam Brooks, managing director, Josh Dunford, Account Coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise Operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.